where are you headed? Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime. To know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to change your world through mission. Well, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, each week of this series, we've been repeating the overarching big idea of the series, which is that Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. And uh, we even have motions, right? So let's say it all together with the motions for this. Ready? Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change your world. Today we're going to dig into what it means to change your world through mission. Change your world through mission. I think everybody wants to change their world. Don't you want to change your world? Aren't there vast tracts of your world that need help, right? Do you live in the same places I live in? Yeah, we want to change the world. We want to change our families. We want to change our, our kids and our family tree and make a better life for them. We want to change our marriages, our neighborhoods, our workplace, uh, the, everywhere around us, our city, our world. And there's lots of beneficial ways that we can influence and make our world a better place. We can volunteer in our community. We can use our vote to steward the kingdom of God well. We can volunteer to be a part of civic service. There's lots of things we can do to be a part of changing our world. But if you want to change your world in a way that will last for eternity, that will matter not just here but forever, there's no better way to change your world than to join Jesus on his mission of redeeming the entire universe, okay? Talk about changing the world. Jesus is inviting you into the redemption, the reconciliation, the renewal of all things. It's amazing. The question is, how? How do we join Jesus on mission in our world? That's our question this morning. How do we join Jesus on mission in our world, where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play our world? So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 down to 21 this morning. You'll find today's reading on page 966, 966 in the Pew Bible there. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 down to 21. And in this passage, we're going to see that God gives us a new motivation, new perspective, and a new assignment. New motivation, a new perspective, and a new assignment. And the key, the, all of this is key if we're going to change our world by joining Jesus on mission in this journey of a lifetime with Him. So let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll jump in to God's Word together. Father, it's such an honor and privilege that you would involve us in your plans to remake the world, that you would enable us to be active participants in what you are doing. 
when our kids want to help us, and even though it might botch it up, but we find greater joy in allowing them to be a part of what we're doing, I think we get a glimpse of your joy as you welcome us into the mission that you have. Teach us to do our part, to say yes to you, and to choose to live in this awesome adventure of life on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen, amen. So first of all, a new motivation. New motivation, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, that would be Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Put a pin in it right there. So the Apostle Paul is describing for us just how radically the gospel changes everything in a Christian's life. Everything. If you believe that Jesus has died in your place and for your sake, if you believe that he bore all your sin and shame on the cross and that he rose again to make you right with God, if you put your faith and trust in the salvation that is on offer in Jesus Christ for you, then Paul's describing your life here. This is your life, my life. And, look, and Paul says, look, there was a time before Jesus when we basically lived for ourselves. Do you guys remember this time? Uh, you basically did whatever you wanted to do. Uh, you built your own little kingdom for yourself, uh, for your benefit. You, we tend to think of ourselves as the majority stakeholders in our own lives. You know, and if a company is 51% owned by somebody, they have the controlling interest in that company. We think, well, our life, we, we're the majority shareholder in our lives. This is our life. It's for us. We're the hero of our own stories. We're going to live our own lives, right? And so I've got the controlling interest in my life, and therefore I get to call the shots. This is how we lived. And Paul says, no longer, no longer, something changed. Now the love of Christ controls us. The controlling interest of our lives has changed. We've been ransomed, we've been redeemed. Jesus died in our place and he raised us up for newness of life in him so that as Paul writes here, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised to life. In other words, Jesus has become the majority stakeholder in our lives. He has the controlling interest, at least 51%. I think it's 100%, but he's got the controlling interest in our lives, in our days. And so instead of seeking to build our own little kingdoms, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Instead of living for ourselves, we live for Christ. Now, scholars uh, spill lots of ink in this passage trying to figure out this phrase, the love of Christ controls us. Um, is it referring to Christ's love for us that controls us? Or is it our love in response to Christ that controls us? You see, it's a little ambiguous, the love of Christ. Is it love for Christ or the love of Christ? Is it Christ's love for us that controls us? Or is it our love for Christ that controls us? 
us. And it seems to me to be a moot argument because I think it's both. I think it's both. We love him because he first loved us. And when someone loves you enough that they go and lay down your, their life for you so that you get your life back, you can't help but love that person with the rest of your days. Amen? His love wins our hearts and our days. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 12.1 says, in view of God's mercies, all that he's given you in Jesus Christ, now present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. So in other words, friends, we live for King Jesus. We live for King Jesus. And as we live for him, we actually get our lives back. That's what's amazing. It feels like we're giving everything up, but we actually get the life we always wanted. Abundant life. I met a guy probably 10 years ago who had been in a street gang, and uh, he got on the wrong side of one of the gangs in town. This leader was after him, and one night he and his best friend were walking and uh, got jumped by this leader with a switchblade. And in a split-second moment that could never be taken back, his best friend jumped between the knife and him and died in his arms. And um, this guy told me, I've spent my whole life trying to pay him back. Like I, I, I go to his mom's house and I try to take care of her and I try to be the son she no longer has. And it, it, like it, it has changed my whole life. He's, he's, he's trying to love his community. He got out of the gang, he changed, everything changed. I said, what changed? Why did it change so much? And he said, he took my life. He took my knife, man. It changes you. He took my knife. It changes you. Friends, do you realize Jesus took your knife? He took your cross. It changes you. The love of Christ can, controls you. You're, you're not your own anymore. All of your days are a gift. You got your life back from Jesus. And now you live for King Jesus. There's no other way you can possibly live. You can't take the redemption of Jesus and just say, now I'm just going to take it and do whatever I want. No, 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 no. The love of Christ controls your future. You see that? So not only does the gospel give us a new motivation in life, it also gives us a new perspective. Our second point, a new perspective. The gospel changes how we see everything. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, there, there was a time 
when the only thing that seemed real to us was this sin-cursed world, our earthly, fleshly existence. These bodies, this flesh, this earth, this little snippet of time that we live in, this reality. And even Jesus seemed to us like a mere man, just just flesh and and bone, nothing more. But Paul says, no longer, no longer. Jesus' coming has given us a whole new set of lenses. Not only do we see what is right here before us, we, we look to what is coming. We see the old creation, this sin-cursed, groaning world waiting for redemption, but we also look to the new creation. We look to the new creation. Friends, because Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is the first fruits of the new creation. And all who are in Christ are participants in the new creation right here, right now. And one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and the old order will pass away, and all things will be made new. And in Christ, friends, we've died, in a sense, died to the old sin-cursed creation, and we have been raised to life in the reality of the new creation. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, which means you and I, we live on the hinge between the old and new worlds. Do you realize that? On the outside, your body is a part of the old creation. That's why it has to die to be raised into the new life. But your spirit has already died with Christ, and you are now alive in the life of the new creation inside. So your inner life has been tethered to the future recreated world that is coming, and your the frame of your life is tethered to the past. That's why you feel this weird tension between who you are and will be and who you still are as that's hanging on. That's your sanctification. Do you see that? You live on the seam. For 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, just the previous chapter to the one we're looking at, says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." So friends, listen, you, you're like a person out of time. How cool is this? You're like straight out of a sci-fi movie, okay? You're like a person out of time. You belong to the future. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are people of the new creation. And even though you reside right here, right now, in your earthly body, in this sin-cursed world, your true home, your true selves belong to the world that is coming. I've always been fascinated by the elves in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which is all the rage now because of the rings of power, right? 
the elves lived in and fought for the good of Middle Earth, though they never lost sight of their true home. Across the sea, their eternal home in Valinor. Friends, that's, that's us. That's us. That's you. That's me. We live in and fight for the good of this world and never lose sight of our true eternal home in glory. That's who we are. It's, it's a totally different perspective on life. Do you see this? It changes how we see everything and everyone around us. As Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh, as if the flesh is all they are. No, we see with spiritual eyes the new creation realities, that every person we bump into is an immortal soul destined to spend eternity somewhere. As C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke and work and marry and snub and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Friends, in Christ we have been tethered to and belong in the realm of the new creation. We are citizens of the coming kingdom. And in the world around us, there's a world of immortal souls who will go down with this old world unless their lives are transferred into the kingdom that is coming, into the new creation reality that is only available in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can move us from the old creation into the new, which leads us to our new assignment, our new assignment. So we have a new motivation, a new perspective, and now a new assignment. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the gospel. Friends, not only does the gospel give us a new motivation, we now live for the king, for King Jesus. Not only does it give us a new perspective that we look to the new creation realities, it gives us a new assignment right here and right now. We are ambassadors on mission. We are ambassadors on mission. Paul says, look, there, we used to live for ourselves. We were an ambassador for ourselves, an advocate for ourselves. We always stood up for whatever we wanted and what we needed. We were an ambassador for ourselves. Now we're ambassadors for Christ. Our whole life purpose has changed. God has reconciled us to himself in Jesus. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We belong to him forever. We are participants in the new creation reality. But we're not to say, oh, goody for me. 
and just keep it to ourselves. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are sent out into the world with the good news that in Jesus Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. That as Paul says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A few years ago, my sister pointed something out to me in this passage I'd never seen before, and it had to do with this word ambassador. The idea of an an ambassador, like in our time, but in Greco-Roman times, was not a foreign concept. They had ambassadors. But the ambassadors in the Roman Empire had a particular job. The emperor, Caesar Augustus, had conquered more and more of the Roman world, right? The, more of the ancient world. And the surrounding nations realized they couldn't fight him. They couldn't win. And so what they would do is send ambassadors to the Caesar with a tribute, an offering, a peace offering to smooth things over, to be reconciled to the rule of the Caesar, to be right with him. It was called the Pax Romana when the peace was made, okay, the Roman peace. And my sister pointed out to me that these ambassadors of Christ are doing just the opposite of what ambassadors did with Caesar. Think about it. Instead of the powerless party bearing the price of reconciliation, being sent to the king to make things right, Here you have ambassadors who are sent from the king to the powerless ones with the good news that the king himself has already borne the cost of reconciliation in himself to make things right. It's just the opposite. In Rome, people had to reconcile themselves to Caesar. In Jesus, God is reconciling people to himself. It's just the opposite. And so then God sends us out, friends. We are his ambassadors. We are the mobile people of God who don't just gather on Sunday, but scatter Monday through Saturday to be on mission with Jesus. We have the greatest job in the universe because the King of Kings is bringing in a new creation, a kingdom that will never be shaken. And he's already paid the price to reconcile all peoples to himself. And you, we can be reconciled to him today. If we will admit that we are sinners far from God, if we will believe that Jesus has done everything to make us right with God, if we will commit our lives to him and say, be my savior, be my Lord, be my everything, we can become a part of the new creation reality, the kingdom that is coming in Jesus. Friends, we are ambassadors with the greatest news the world has ever known. And our lives are to be embassies of a new creation. Do you see that? That's your assignment. Your life is an embassy of the new creation. Have you ever been to an embassy? You ever been to one of these? It's like walking into another country, right? Different language, different culture, different dress, different customs, different laws, different core values. 
you can immediately tell when you walk in, these people are not from around here, right? It's obvious. An embassy is conversant with its host culture. It has to be. It's an embassy. But it is consistent with its home culture. It's conversant with its host culture, but it's consistent with its home culture. It's in the world, but it's not of the world. It's fully here, and it's faithful to there. It's kind of like my elves, right, from Tolkien's Middle Earth. When you, if you were to visit Rivendell, you would catch the scent of Valinor. You would see it, taste it, smell it. You would know these people are not from here. Friends, our lives are to be like that, little embassies of heaven, a place where people can catch the scent of a new creation beyond the walls of the world, to be in the world but not of the world, to be fully here and yet faithful to there. To use Jesus' language in the Sermon on the Mount, we're to be salt of the earth, we're to be the light of the world. Salt had two functions in the ancient world. It was a preservative and it was a seasoning. It would arrest decay. You rub it in rancid meat, right? You would keep, it would keep meat from going bad. It was seasoning. It would add flavor. Light had two functions. It functioned as a deterrent. We still put up security light to keep bad things away. And light was a beacon. If you were lost in the desert and saw a city on the hill brimming with light, you knew you were safe. When people, people will catch the scent of the new creation, friends, when we live like that, as salt and light. Wherever there's decay around us, we run in, we bring healing and mending and preservation to the broken and fraying world. Where everything is bland, we enhance its beauty. We plant trees and we do art and we make music and we, beauty, we adorn the darkness. Where things are dark, we bring light and justice and hope. Where there's lostness, we shine a beacon of light and salvation into the world. People should see your life and say, these people aren't from around here. They're just not from around here. Friends, this touches every part of your life if you'll let it. it it'll, it'll, if your life is an embassy of the world to come, you're going to go to work differently. Your career is not just about you. It's a, it's a way to display the culture of heaven in the way you work with integrity and justice and fairness and the way you treat people to the glory of God. If your life is an embassy of the world to come in your family, your family's going to look different. Your values, the culture of your family, the patterns of how you live, it will be different. Your neighbors won't know quite what to think of you. These people aren't from around here, are they? In your classes when you go to school, you're going to be a student in a very different way if your life is an embassy of the way of Jesus. You'll live by his standards. You'll engage with his compassion. You'll live in his goodness. It'll change your educational world. Every part of your world ought to be shaped by the mission of Christ. So you've been given a new motivation. You live for the king and the love of Christ. 
We have a new perspective. We start to see the reality of the new creation that is breaking in even here and now. And we have a new assignment. We are ambassadors on mission in the world. We join Jesus in his work of gospel redemption. So what does it mean, really, bottom line for us? It means that Jesus is inviting you to change your world through mission. Jesus is inviting you to change your world through mission. If you want to change your world in a way that will matter for eternity, do you you realize the best thing you can do is join forces with God? God is in the business of reconciling everything in the universe to himself. He's bringing in the dawn of the new creation reality where Jesus will rule and reign as king and where all things will be set to rights and everything will be made new. Talk about changing the world. If you want to change the world, we, friends, there's nothing better we could do than embracing our privilege and our responsibility of being ambassadors of the coming kingdom, the coming reality, the new creation, wherever we go. Wherever we live, work, learn, or play, friends, we go as representatives of Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Friends, Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God through worship, to feed your soul through community, to grow in love through service, and to change your world through mission. Jesus is inviting you to join him in the work of reconciling all things and all peoples to himself. Our lives are embassies of heaven. We are ambassadors of his good news. We are witnesses to the ends of the earth, of the world that is coming. Friends, this city is full of people who will never come to church. But thank God the church goes to all those people. Because the church is not just a building, a place that you attend. The church is not just a place you attend, it's a movement we get to be a part of. Amen? We gather to scatter, to join Jesus on mission in our world. Wherever we live, work, learn, and play, we go to be the church on mission with Jesus. Every single one of you, listen listen to me, every single one of you has a circle of influence. There are people you come in contact with that will never hear my voice. You are the closest thing to Jesus they may ever see. Do you live like that matters for eternity? All of us, I believe every single one of us has like eight to 12 people 
that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in our lives for the sake of the gospel. And my life is meant to intersect with those people in a meaningful way to show and share the love of Jesus. And I either take that responsibility seriously and live authentically as best as I can, not perfectly, but as authentically as I can, or I neglect it. But either way, I'm probably, they probably are drawing conclusions about Jesus from my life, whether I think they're doing that or not. A few years ago, I bought a car that had a fish on the bumper. I never put those on because, well, you've seen me drive. So, you know, the last thing to get sanctified is the right foot, right? There's a fish on the back of my car for the first time in my life, and I tried to peel it off. <laughs> I don't, I just don't drive, okay, it's my problem. Anyway, but I'm like, I'm trying to, and it had goo and stuff, and I was like, I don't want to mess the paint up. And the Lord convicted me and was like, you really, you have a fish on your whole life. Why is this? Anyway, maybe my trauma and conviction will help you. I don't know. But here's the point. You have a circle of influence. Do you know who those people are? Do you lift them up to the Lord in prayer by name? Do you ask him to help you see where they're at spiritually? Do you know their stories? Do you know if they, if they ever had an encounter with Christ, if they've ever had any interest? Do you, have, do you know where they're hung up? Have you, been, have you lifted that to the Lord in prayer and asked for an opportunity to maybe have them over and invite them for a meal or bring cookies or get creative on how to build a relationship with somebody far from Jesus but near to you so that you... Friends, this is the adventure of a lifetime. There's nothing greater in the world than joining up with Jesus on mission and seeing him go to work. It'll make your 401k look lousy. Well, it looks lousy anyway, but it'll, you'll, <laughs> it, but it, listen, that's not, your nest egg is not the goal of your life. There's nothing better than joining Jesus in the renewal of the universe, the redemption of lives, the reconciliation of what he's doing. I hope you're beginning to realize that this journey of a lifetime is more than just a sermon series. This is fresh language of what we mean when we say, follow Jesus. When someone walks through our doors, we're going to have the privilege of saying, look, Jesus is inviting you on the journey of a lifetime to know God, feed your soul, grow in love, and change the world. If that sounds interesting to you, we'd love to help. That's why we're here. And you'll notice that each step on this journey of a lifetime is tied to the big muscle movements of our ministries. We gather for worship each Sunday. Know God through worship. Then we go over there into those communities at 8.30 and 11.30, and we get around God's Word, and we feed our souls through community. 
And then we have service opportunities all throughout the church to help build up the body and contribute to the mission of Christ. And we grow in love through service. And then all of us go to be the church. We go to change our world by joining Jesus on mission every single week, Monday through Friday. That's, that's who we are. And so the journey of the lifetime, friends, is it's like a framework, a master organizer to hang everything on. It connects the dots, it coordinates our efforts, it pulls, gets us all pulling in the same direction. It's fresh language for the ancient call of following Jesus. And the question it poses for all of us is what's my next step? What's my next step? Maybe you're sitting here and, and you realize my next step is I, I really need to get regularly in worship. I've really got to get to know God through worship. We'd love to have you be a part of our gatherings at 10 o'clock every Sunday. Maybe you realize I've got to learn to feed my soul in the life of community. I've been neglecting that. We'd love to have you. 8.30, 11.30, Stop by the Connection Center, we'll get you started. We'd love to help you. Maybe you realize, I've got to start growing in love through service, but I don't know where to start. Again, we're here to help you with that. Swing by our Connection Center, say, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where to serve, but I want to. We'll find you a place. There's all kinds of ways you can give yourself in love. In our kids' ministry, you can join our choir, you can... Use one of your gifts to usher or greet or help people park on Sunday. There's a million ways you can contribute just with just a commitment once a month. We'll help you with that. Or maybe you're here and you're, you're realizing, I'm doing all those things, but I haven't really lived intentionally on mission Monday through Friday or Saturday. Like I come here and I do my Christian thing, but I don't really know what it means to live on mission out there. And again, we're here to help. There's all kinds of ways you can serve and come alongside our ministry partners in the city, all kinds of ways we can equip you to learn to live on mission. That's why we're here. So the question is, what's your next step? What's your next step? Do you know what it is? If you know what it is, what's your plan? What are you going to do about it? And again, we're here to help in any way that we can. There's nothing more important to us than your journey with Jesus. So won't you follow him in all that that means for your life? Won't you follow him? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, you have invited us on this transformational journey of following Jesus. We pray that it would deeply shape us and then through us, you might bring reconciliation and redemption in massive and life-changing ways to the world around us. Teach us to live this way, on mission with Jesus. For his sake we pray, amen.